Hello, Food Chain. This is Sharon Chiton, and I'm a food tech junkie and innovation nerd who loves a good story. This podcast combines all of my favorite vices into a weekly deep dive about the problems our food system faces and the visionary people working on solutions. Today, we speak with Jordi and Julia Kay, founders of the Australian startup Great Wrap. Their goal is to make compostable products like saran wraps from food waste and see the end of plastic waste. So buckle up and enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone, and hello to Julie and Jordy. Very excited to have you on today. And um, how are you guys? We're great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. You are so very welcome. And welcome to Food Tech Junkies. So to start, I'd like to ask you, what did you do before you decided to take on this journey? Um, Well, before that, tell us a little bit about what you're doing and how you got there. Sure. I mean, I, I'm happy to kick off. Um, Jordy's uh, story is a bit more exciting than mine, so I'll, I'll happily lead. Um, it's definitely not true. <laughs> not true. <laughs> uh, look, so I had um, I had an amazing career in architecture. Um, I, I knew I wanted to be in design from the age of 15. I thought it was, um, you know, this incredible um sort of glamorous world where you had an opportunity to sort of design the world that you wanted to live in. Um, and so from a very young age, I, I sort of set up myself to do that. I ended up studying in um, in Milan and um, I'm from, yeah, which was a really amazing experience. And then uh, I got an amazing job uh, for a big sort of corporate uh, or not corporate, but a very large architecture firm um, that worked uh, sort of across the globe. Um, I worked on amazing projects from sort of galleries through to education, um, you know, involving like unis and things like that. I think um, I I was just so excited by the opportunity to, I guess, design a physical experience. Um, I think one of the things that I found working in in a big practice is that my um, experience in design wasn't as sort of uh, big as I'd imagined so there was there was a thing that I was able to obsess over and have control over and that was what materials I was using on my project so I spent a lot of time focusing on um, you know where our timber was coming from the process that had been made uh, you know and things like that so I became very quickly obsessed with <laughs> with materials and knew that was sort of my passion um, and then, you know, I, I moved to Melbourne, which was an amazing city of design here in Australia. There was a lot of opportunity there. Um, and then I met uh, a beautiful man who had an amazing career too, which I'll... <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope that's me. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, when Julian and myself um, met, I was making wine. Um, I... I dropped out of high school when I was 16 or 17. Uh, I was working in a vineyard, um, grew up working in a wine region. And um, I sort of, uh, I guess, in wine was fascinated by the way in which you could use nature to create things of complexity and, and flavour and and could create a discussion. And, um, and that quickly evolved into me um, sort of moving to Europe uh, when I was 17, with just a backpack uh, and uh, not much money to my name uh, and uh, traveling um, throughout um, Portugal, France, uh, Austria, 
uh, working on different vineyards that were farming biodynamically, making wines um, naturally, so without sort of preservatives or um, I guess making wines in their purest form. Um, and uh, I came back to Australia eventually, um, had $500. Uh, I signed a, a lease on a vineyard uh, instead of my home region um, and quickly started farming uh, organically and, and making wines naturally until I, uh, I guess that really, that label took off and um, my wines were distributed across North America and parts of Asia and throughout Australia and um, and then I was able to get enough money together to buy a really rundown vineyard, uh, which was nothing but a vineyard um, surrounded by forest. And, and I built a little cabin in the forest. Um, and um, yeah, I sort of was, was doing my thing there. And then um, at some point in that journey, I um, was at a pub um, <laughs> and I ordered a beer and I met Julia um, and... <laughs> Within three months, <laughs> we'd registered the name Great Rap. But I think equally like Julia, I was fascinated with, I guess, you know, I was I was researching how we could use different plants um, to substitute them for pesticides, fungicides um, and fertilizers. Um, yeah. So I spent a lot of my energy um, in that um, space. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm still so excited by that. Um, space and how people are using uh, fermentations of, of cacti, kelp um, and other sort of forms of plants to, to create alternatives to fungicides. Um, that was probably where I spent a lot of my time. So I, I was fermenting a lot of different things in a shed and spraying them on the vineyard and, and fermenting kelp that I'd go and um, harvest from, from the Pacific Ocean and, um, and then use that in the vineyard and add that to my compost. And so, yeah, that was kind of um, I guess, you know, we had a, a, a strong understanding of biodesign and material mm -hmm. science and, and we spoke the language um, and we met and realised we both loved those things, but probably weren't really kind of fully realising those passions um, uh, yeah. in our current career. Yeah, I think we we definitely met at the right time. Had Geordie and I met like six months earlier or a bit earlier when Geordie was building a cabin, I think yeah. um, Greg Rat might not have been born. It might have been an incredible sort of bio design studio and the cabin might have existed in a very different form than, than what it did. But we, yeah, as Geordie was saying, we were like, we, have, we are speaking this amazing language and there's so much opportunity here. Um, yeah. Let's do something with that. So... Uh, well, how did the business, well, you know, three months in, you, you know, you um, incorporated the name Great Rap, but how did you decide to come up with this idea? Uh, what was the moment that sparked the idea? Tell us a little bit about that. You have a very interesting story. It's like a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little movie. Hopefully, it's <laughs> hopefully one day. <laughs> it's a film like it's a film about film um <laughs> so <laughs> yeah I think um, we were both using uh I mean yeah like you know I sort of alluded to my obsession with materials and yeah. you know yeah. a, a lot of my job would be so you draw something you specify the product and then you go out on site and you watch that become a beautiful building um I think what that on-site moment really showed um, me in in a scary amount was 
no matter how much time you spend thinking about the materials you're using to build, no matter how low the carbon embodied within that product is, it's still going to come to your site wrapped in petroleum-based pallet wrap. And, and that's just the way the system of sort of logistics works. And I think, um, you know, in wine, it's it's the same. Jordi, as, as he said, was sending wine all, all around the world and putting all of this beautiful energy into how things were farmed and made. And then to, to go and wrap it in petroleum plastic, it was just like, what? Like, it didn't make sense. Um, mm-hmm. And we were like, you know these are two really different industries. Like this is an incredible connector. Like it's the conduit between products. Like everything you touch has been shipped at some point. What an amazing opportunity to reinvent how, how this is made. And that was where it began. Yeah. I think too, like, you know, we sort of, we also in that process identified plastic is something that was Mm. an area of huge opportunity because it kind of had really remained unchanged or these like tiny incremental changes to make a product 10% more recyclable. Um, So we were like, you know, what if we just like, what's the biggest impact we could have in plastic? And and that was it. Like it was pallet wrap because everything you eat, sit on, wear comes wrapped in pallet wrap at some point in its life. So it's like, well, if we just change that, we could probably change like millions of tons of plastic going into landfill <laughs> or in the oceans every year. Yeah. And also <laughs> like at that time, you know, there was not much happening in the space in the same way that there is now. There was a lot of people talking about front of house products, I guess, mm-hmm. like your coffee cups um, and, and like total end of life. No one was really thinking about the journey in between. And we were like, that's us we'll take it it's literally the most cliche thing ever though like that you know it was multiple conversations and then the, the conversation where we were like let's do this kind of thing um was on a beach you know, <laughs> to be fair we're on the beach i reckon about 40 percent of the time so <laughs> <Yeah>. it's not <laughs> yeah cool so from bars to the beach i see i see how the creative process going um <laughs> I want that too. <laughs> so obviously, I mean, you you brought up uh, something extremely important, which is plastic pollutions. Um, and we haven't talked about this issue specifically yet on this podcast. So this is very exciting for me. Yeah, I think it's one of those issues that somehow we feel keeps getting worse and worse, uh, but it's so difficult to tackle. Uh, it's difficult because there's not one person that can solve it. Um, and it's, I think, uh, a public-private consumer, uh, B2B, everybody's problem. But what do you think are the, some of the biggest problems here? And what's the trouble with some of the solutions that we're currently using, like tradition, traditional compostable packaging, for example? How long <laughs> we got? No, um... <laughs> I think, you know, I think that you really touched on it well, Sharon, like um, to begin with, it, it's not um, something that one company is going to come up with a solution and, and we're all going to go, okay, cool, this is it now. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's an effort that requires a change in consumer behaviour. It, it, it changes uh, in the way businesses act um, and, it, and it changes in the way governments reform. 
Yeah. Um, and so everyone needs to work together and everyone needs to realize that they're actually responsible for their actions, um, but they're also responsible for activism and, and getting out there and telling businesses to change their ways and telling governments to change their ways. Um, so I think that's like, you know, obviously part of the problem. Um, and then there's this whole other side of the problem where um, plastic is incredible. Um, and so when it was born, um, you know, some hundred years ago, uh, it was an amazing solution in which we could keep food fresh and we could transport and we could build all these exciting materials and we could use nanofibers to make vests bulletproof. And, and so it was this sort of really exciting world of, of opportunity. Um, but the problem is that we didn't realize that that was a linear solution um, and mm. not a circular one. Um, so essentially we, we kind of over the last hundred years started to realize well, this has to go, you know, somewhere. And um, and that's when we, you know, realised that there was this thing called plastic pollution or waste. <laughs> um, and that's kind of got us to this point now um, where we've gone, okay, well, plastic was really good. It was an amazing event, invention. Um, but what we need to look at is circular alternatives. Um, and we sit um, somewhere in that circular economy as, as one of many solutions, um, advanced recycling, um, will play its role in kind of getting us out of this mess. Um, but I think material uh, evolution uh, will also get us out of this mess as well. So eventually, hopefully we can get to a point where we do have this complete circular economy, but then also when plastic falls out of that circular um, situation, it does break down as well. And, and that's what we're sort of really focused on is kind of thinking about now, but, you know, thinking about, 10, 20, 50 years in the future as well. Yeah, and I, I think just to sort of, you know, add to that, I think, I mean, the way I like to think about it is like, okay, so at this very moment in time, if we drew a line right now and said, okay, stop manufacturing any sort of petroleum-based plastic, the recycling world exists to solve all of the waste that we've created since, you know, the beginning of plastics history, and that's incredibly important. And we exist on sort of, you know, the other side of that line, which is like, what is the future of materials? What are we, what are we using to replace those products? And that's um, the thing that we find exciting, I think. Of course. Yeah. Also, there's plastic and plastic, right? I mean, there's plastic to, you know, to, to build like devices that, you know, are used for, you know, cardiothoracic surgery like yeah. there's certain things that you know that it's not going to go in the ocean and and totally. pollute and then there's the plastic that you know for example you know logistics food and beverage you know the quantity right so that's a mm. big mental shift I think yeah um, and I think that's where a lot of the innovation is at the moment yeah and will be in the future and I think like that first part you touched on um, is going to exist for, you know, definitely for the rest of our lifetime. But yeah. that, second, that second part is, I think, you know, I, I honestly believe like we get to see what is happening in the space. And 10 years from now, those sort of soft plastics that are single use and, um, you know, hard to recycle and often end up in waterways and things like that, it's highly likely that they're not going to exist. Um, 10 or 15 years from now and and so I mean that keeps us motivated and, and excited and, and in a world of optimism we certainly hope that is true I mean that's I think what all of us really want um, sometimes you know to say what will happen 10 years down the line like unfortunately when you have I think you know maybe more startups or leaner companies that can 
enact change quickly. Uh, it's very different, obviously, than huge corporations, like mm. reinventing, right, the way things are, are done within. And I think, as we said before, you know, it's really a consumer business partnership as well. In the news in the past, um, this past six months, uh, especially some huge uh, food and beverage um, companies made huge commitments on their plastic consumption. And that's my question. Like, where do you see the biggest challenges with such big corporations enacting those commitments? And how can innovation become a real asset for them? Yeah, it's a very good question. Mm -hmm. I, I think we're, we're dealing with a lot of these big companies. Yeah. Um, we're dealing with a lot of household names as we speak. Um, they're very, very, very excited to, you know, onboard Great Wrap and use our product. Um, where the biggest challenge lies for them um, is it has, they've got shareholders, investors, yep. and things like that. Uh, and they're going to look after, you know, profit. And, um, and not that they sort of go, oh, well, sustainability is second to that. But they do, they can't use a product that, say, costs five times as much. But they, they can use a product that's 10% more. And they can see the value in that for their own company. So it's really trying to design uh, products that can get within that sort of ballpark figure. And, and that um, there's a pathway to that. I mean, we're going to be at that point uh, within the next three months. Um, and we're starting to roll out our products, um, pun intended, um, with a lot of these bigger companies uh, over the next few months. Um, and so that, that's been the biggest challenge for us in the past three years. We're finally at a point where we've been having these conversations for three years and we can go back to them and say, hey, like, we're actually ready now. Um, we're at the price that you said you, you want it to be and, and they're ready too. So I think with other products and other solutions, it, it's going to be the exact same conversation. It's like kind of come back when you're close. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, we learned, we've learned that along the journey. I mean, we came out with a, a product that was, you know, considerably uh, higher value item. And we learned really quickly that our sort of response responsibility as innovators was to make not only a more sustainable product from an environmental perspective but financially as well like and that I think is like the biggest sort of generational challenge uh, that we are facing is in this space is like no longer can you just be better in one way like you have to be able to fit into the way the economy functions and that's that's okay it, like we found it incredibly fun like it is fun um and as long as we're thinking in that way and and not sort of rejecting that as an idea i think yeah the future's bright yeah i mean you said something that i personally say all the time right uh, humans have been uh very linear in their uh thinking and actions i mean they're very good in solving one problems and in the meantime creating two more because they're not looking at the system and mm. i think we're not at a point where we can do that again although um from what i see <laughs> we're doing the exact same thing <laughs> um but it's um to me there is i mean this is such an interesting conversation um example but maybe people don't know that one third of all plastic waste ends up also in our soil and it's fresh water, right? So what, what's interesting is that plastic pollution is so per pervasive and in everything we eat because we obviously we grow, right? And 
So plastics are said to alter the physical and biological properties of soil. And this is a big threat also to food security, health, the environment. So we're in a moment in history where we cannot afford to further damage our resources. Um, so then when you look at how much food gets wasted each year, then you, I get my mind blown each time. What I think is brilliant about your solution is that it actually tackles two problems at once. On one side, you have plastic pollution, and on the other, you have food waste. Can you talk about that? Sorry, it went on forever. No, no, look, it's, um, I'm going to go on to a big rant as well. <laughs> Precursor. So if you step back and you look at it um, globally, uh, there's three major carbon sinks in the planet. So there's the atmosphere, there's our soil, uh, and there's the ocean. Um, and the way that carbon um, is rapidly expanding in the atmosphere and in our ocean is uh, increasing climate change at a, you know, at a dangerous pace. Um, but what is happening in our, in our soils is, is almost the, the opposite. Our soils are yearning for more carbon. Um, and this can be done through regenerative farming because we're seeing soil erosion yes. um, and, and there's other sort of forms of agriculture that can really save our planet from climate change. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, and then there's all this like food waste, right? Um, and so uh, all of this food waste, if that goes into landfill or if that just goes into a paddock and is not mixed with other exciting microorganisms, then that'll just become methane and that'll become greenhouse gases that adds to the atmosphere and, and CO2 into our oceans. So if, if you could take that food waste and get it into that compost, yeah. um, then yeah. you can actually put huge amounts of carbon back into the soil. It's actually, if, if you could increase... Um, the carbon going into our soil by 0.4%, then you could completely um, disregard all greenhouse gases going into our atmosphere every year. So it's, it's a really tiny amount. So I think that's for us, it was kind of the genesis of um, where we are now is that, you know, we use potato waste um, and we convert that into a stretch film. So our idea is if we can make all of the world's pallet wrap from potato waste, which is highly plausible given, you know, we work with all of these companies and we look at all of the waste out there. Um, if we can make all of the world's pallet wrap and, and cling film, I think in America you call it saran wrap. Yep. But if we can make all of those two things from potato waste and get those to a compost pile, then we could have a profound impact on, on not only plastic waste, but also on, on climate change as well, um, which is like what we get super excited about. And when we see other innovations out there of people using seaweed and other forms of bio waste to convert that into plastic alternatives and trying to find solutions to get that to a compost pile as well. And how do you source, you know, food and agricultural waste? On um, what do you think that your um, approach will be into sourcing once you expand to new markets? I mean, everybody eats potatoes, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fully, fully can support. Of potatoes, it's good for our business. <laughs> um, we love it, we love a potato chip ourselves, but um, look, yeah, it's uh, we work with companies that essentially make french fries. So, uh, and when you want to make the perfect french fry, uh, there's a lot of stuff left over, uh, and so we use that post processing waste. Um, and it's at a centralized location, so the growers grow the potato, they send it to a bit of a hub in their regional town, 
Um, and then we take all of that waste to a factory nearby um, and, um, and convert that into a product. So that's how we're going about it um, as we sort of scale. And, um, you know, we're having conversations with those potato chip manufacturers uh, all around the world as we speak, um, looking at, okay, well, where can we set up satellite factories that can process that waste? Wow. Um, well, the US might probably be a huge market for you guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. we love our potatoes. Um, so in some parts of the world, policy is intervening to help communities transition also to better plastic alternatives. Do you think these initiatives have the potential to make a difference? And what are some of the initiatives that you think could work for both business and people? Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, as we said at, at the beginning of, of this chat i think every little piece of the puzzle that adds up to the whole of this is really important um so yeah policy is a massive a massive piece that is really helpful and something that we've noticed um really shifts those sort of larger larger businesses i mean for us locally in australia there's a lot of um i guess political conversation around uh recycling and, and you know we, we we've noticed in our customers we see them going okay okay so we're talking about recycling now like this is we'll, we'll work towards that um and and that's really fantastic and it in one way you go oh that's a shame that we have to um you know kind of put these rules in place but it's so so meaningful i think um for me personally um the thing along this journey that has become so obvious is um plastics relationship to I guess like the petroleum industry and I mean I can't comment on the US but um, there's a lot of sort of subsidies that make petroleum plastic production a lot cheaper in yeah. Australia um, and it makes us us harder to sort of you know it, it's it's harder for us to compete I guess and and that's sort of built into you know the economy I guess so I think um, you know removing things like that makes makes our you know that returns petroleum plastic to the price it sort of should be and makes compostable products like ours um more realistic for the the home consumer because you know often we're having the chat well it's like okay you're slightly more expensive than this product that i've been using and and we go okay but yeah but the yeah would you agree disagree yeah, yeah. the impact obviously that a consumer has with your product is not comparable right one is impactful the other one is destruction and so yeah to your totally. point it's like you have such big lobbies um, yeah but i think you know the yeah like i mean and the consumer is so important though because a lot of these shifts we've seen have happened at that like one person level yeah. you know i mean like decisions happen around a dinner table um i think yeah, I think like the biggest learning I've had from Great Wrap is that um, companies, ma massive companies, some of the biggest companies in the world are still made up of humans and still made up of humans with decision-making powers. Mm. Um, and so it only takes one person to buy our product off a supermarket shelf 
or to see it online and, and purchase it to, and then go, oh, this is kind of like that pallet wrap thing that, you know, my, <laughs> my partner uses at their brewery. And, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, we get a call from someone that, you know, Australia's largest brewing company and says, hey, can we switch to this? And, and so that it's like, you, it's, it's impossible to build a brand and a conversation around um, pallet wrap, <laughs> um, but it is easy to build a conversation around something that's in everyone's kitchen. Mm. Um, and so we've seen that as the the most important um, role our company has is that, you know, it sounds silly, but like cling wrap plays a huge part of advocacy in our company and, mm. and is really, really important. Yeah. I mean, every, every human in this, you know, in the world, you know, loves to share a meal, like the, the kitchen exists in every home, you know, to, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which between the question I asked before and this one, there was a point like, you know, we talked about scaling and how you're doing your product. And then obviously to me, the policy bit and the consumer behavior bit are, you know, the opposites of the same coin, because, you know, I think consumers are fighting for more sustainable products. And on the other hand, we have like those, the, the establishment, you know, the, the the profit margin that they see it's it's a huge something that you know it's it's hard to tackle and I think that is a big global issue it's not one thing or the next so I think you brought the obviously the Australian perspective um and how like you're entering the market right like how was um your market entry how did you get to you know um tackle these these two um sides of the coin and what's what are your plans i know you're now expanding so i'd like to know <laughs> a little bit about that yeah so yeah totally i mean yeah so we launched um our first home product in april of last year um, which was very much about um i guess you know it was about the education piece we we wanted to bring a product into people's homes so that they could understand and trust the material that we were making and the conversation that we were starting. Mm -hmm. um, off, off the back of that, we had um, amazing, amazing receival um, by the Australian market. We were pretty much on every, every sort of um, daytime news uh, TV show, um, you know, shots of our factory. Um, I think you know, Australia is a very um, proud country when a, a couple gets up in front and shows their factory. Um, everyone was just really quite impressed and almost, you know, like, oh, my God, mind blown. Like, why haven't we been doing this for, forever? <laughs> um, and so we found off the back of that, I mean, the plan was always always to enter the B2B market because, you know, that's the impact piece that's really exciting for us. But, yeah, yeah we, we, we knew we had to start the conversation first because you can't just sort of start offering this product when people don't know they need it yet, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so we had an amazing success here in Australia and we've been, um, I guess, well-backed by locals in both the consumer and investor space. And now we're preparing to sort of do the same in the US. So we'll be sort of launching in June uh, with our, our home product, which we're very, very excited to see um, how it goes. We, we're going to sort of do the same. We'll be coming over to visit. And um, yeah, the plan for us is, I guess, to eventually have our own manufacturing facility in the US. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, 
we don't see a future in um, shipping products around the world that I don't think that would make sense in the, in our vision. So yes. yeah, it's again, it's, it's about starting the conversation and introducing the brand to the U S and can't wait to get there to be honest. And so you'll sell it, you know, where already? Uh, we, we launched on our website. Okay. Um, and then, um, yeah, we're really excited. Like, again, we're driven by impact. So um, we don't want to be a brand that's um, just represented online. We want our product to be accessible and we try mm-hmm. and make it accessible in the pricing. So, mm. um, you know, we want to sit um, on a supermarket shelf across the country so that everyone can afford to buy it and, yeah. and participate in the conversation and be a part of the journey. Cool. So all the retailers out there in the u.s you get in touch (laughs) (laughs) exactly we need good solutions out there so obviously expansion aside what's what are you guys doing what's next for great rap and uh, for you yeah no it's 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 good i think like we're really focused on i guess expanding across the planet um for the next couple of years and I'm really getting out there and setting up local localized manufacturing facilities and 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 building the company um we're forever uh looking to sort of innovate internally and looking at well what other big products and problems can we solve with our R&D team um and so yeah we're, we're highly active in that space as well and and really excited about uh alternatives that we could offer and you know we see huge problems in soft plastics for food packaging you know when you buy a bag of spinach and it comes wrapped in that plastic and you hate it and 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 all of those sort of things that's um i think we'll always see packaging through the lens of um food um just because it's a passion of ours but we also see there's a world of opportunity as well so i think you know the next couple of years is really uh we just want to be the world's biggest cling wrap and pallet wrap company but then after that uh, we're already working on solutions to, I guess, expand out into other realms so that we can um, continuously make packaging more accessible price-wise, but way more sustainable than the current situation. Yeah, and I think part of the reason we've chosen to really pick an area like pack- food packaging is because we really do believe that there is space for other businesses doing what we're trying to do. Um, and we want to help to build that community. I think that's really important. Like we've learned so much from our local community working in the same space. I mean, I selfishly would love to work on construction materials, but I, I know that's not where we're heading. So it's like, let's, you know, bring the conversation together, share our research, um, you know, bring all our R&D teams together and kind of make it happen. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's fun. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it is. So <laughs> in terms of end of life of your product, what happens then? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I sort of, like I mentioned earlier, um, around the importance of, of composting. Um, yeah. That's where, you know, uh, we can add the most value is if we can get this biomass back into soil um, and and get carbon back into soil, then that's what we get most excited about. Currently, um, our product um, or products break down in, it does break down in landfill and it will break down on the side of a highway, um, but composting is the ideal um, environment. Um, but in the future, um, 
we're you know currently setting up our second factory um, where um, we'll have our own uh, biorefinery on site where uh, all of our products made will not only break down on the side of a highway or, or in landfill or, or in a compost pile, but they'll also break down in the ocean. Um, so we're creating marine degradable um, biopolymers that, that will completely uh, break down in the ocean in under six, six months, uh, as well as you know, rivers and other waterways. Um, so that's sort of, I guess, where our technology is heading. Um, so it, it can completely disappear in any environment. Um, but again, it, composting is is cheap. It's something that most people can um, do at home uh, if they've if they've got a backyard, um, and hopefully it's something that most people can do um, in a you know metropolitan city uh, if they've got access to an organic waste facility in Australia. Um, we have over 140 industrial composting facilities spread out across the country. With we've only got 25 million, you know, with the size of New York, um, with 140 composting facilities. So. Um, we'd like to sort of, I guess, see our products continue to get to those environments so that they can break down and then they can become um, soil to go out into, you know, agriculture fields. Wow, so literally it's completely circular. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, preferably a potato field. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's really <laughs> super circular. So your location is also, because I was looking at your website and at the end of your website, I saw a writing and it made me think of, you know, the food industry, our world, I would say is, you know, it's not just what we produce. Uh, it's also about the, the people and the people we need to respect. And it's about, you know, equality, diversity and inclusion and, I saw great rap acknowledges the traditional landowners of the Eastern Kulin Nation, where we live, learn, love, and work. We pay respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, for sure. I think um, I think in Australia um, we have a tough history for a lot of people to kind of connect with. Sometimes, I mean, mm -hmm. um, European settlement was about a couple you know, a couple hundred years ago. Um, but um, there was also um, sort of the Aboriginal culture that existed for 60,000 years prior to that. Yep. Um, one yep. of the, the oldest existing civilizations in history that was rich and, and filled with innovation and, and exciting language and culture. And, um, and so, yeah, I think for us, it's just, it's only right to acknowledge that uh, well, we're a company that's existed for four, four years, <laughs> but prior to that, there's 60,000 years of, of um, beautiful humans doing great things. So it, it means a lot to us um, to acknowledge that past and, and to be proud to sit here um, right now. We're in, we're in the Bunurong Nation, um, which is a little bit further south, but to, to be sitting here and, um, you know, um, paying it forward on these lands and um, yeah it's just something that's special to us and um, we, Julia and I both feel quite passionately about this um, I mean the least you can do is an acknowledgement um, but you know how can we pay that forward as well yeah and I think also I mean to to touch it, it's about stewardship as well right it's yes. like we're looking after the land that we're on and and acknowledging its past and thinking about its future and 
um, I think that's important to do uh, wherever you are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's, uh, I couldn't agree with you more at times. It's, um, it is also a question of truly respecting um, your heritage, your land, but also I think the vision of the future that you want, which is inclusive. And I really felt it was beautiful. I, um, and so I just wanted to acknowledge and thank you for that. Uh, myself thank you thank you (laughs) so um last but not least can you talk about you know your 10-year vision for a future uh without plastic and what is the vision of your company yeah um (laughs) i think big big picture vision is again i i like there's just so many exciting companies out there Um, like you said earlier, Sharon, um, I guess that are in that startup phase um, and that they can think and react really quickly and um, trial a whole bunch of different processes until they find one that works for them. And so I think there's there's a lot of exciting innovation out there and and people making um, bioplastics from kelp and seaweed and, and algae and um, and other forms of bio waste. And, and so um, I think all of these products are going to come to market and, it, and it's up to us as consumers to support those products um, and really be advocates for them. Um, but then, you know, I think it's, it's, it's going to get to a point where we'll all coexist and we're all going to get to that journey where we're sort of uh, on that journey at, at price parity with petroleum and, and the big oil companies will go I think we're going to have to do something about this. <laughs> and, and it's not that they're going to make their products cheaper. It's we're going to see other companies go, well, we've got to shift uh, the way we're acting and, and start making products that aren't using petroleum. Um, and, and the market's going to demand that. So like broadly, that's really exciting. I mean, we've already got one of the world's largest petroleum companies wants to buy our pallet wrap at the moment, which is like a funny position to find yourself in. Um, but it's also really exciting. And, and it shows again, like there's people who are just people in a bigger organization that still want to make a really positive impact. So I think like big picture, that's where I see kind of the market heading. And I don't know, where do you see great wrap going? Yeah. It's hard to talk about it as just great rap, I think, yeah, probably, you know, overall, I mean, as we sort of said earlier, I mean, 98% of our conversations are just fill you with the most incredible amount of optimism about the future of the world. Um, and then, you know, there's that 2% or maybe even like less than that 1.5% um, that you go, oh God, maybe we're existing in our own um, beautiful bubble of really, um <laughs> amazing stewards of the planet. And I, I honestly think 10-year um, year picture, I, I think it would be like, I hope it's like when the world discovered smoking was really bad and like you shouldn't do it. <laughs> and we'll go, oh, my God, remember when like we all used to smoke in restaurants? Like how embarrassing. <laughs> um, so I think that <laughs> I, I'd love to, <laughs> to see um, a world where, you know, 10 years from now the, the conversations that we're having are very, you know, mainstream and that's everyone's day to day yeah I don't, I don't think that's it I don't think great rats futures um definitive but we do know we want to participate um and be a part of it yeah well and I wish you guys all the best um last but not least a shout out 
where can people find you? What's your website? Give them the 411. Yeah, so you can find us on our website, which is www.greatrap.co. Uh, we will exist there. And if you follow us on Instagram, you'll be able to see all of the retailers that we're popping into via that channel. And you can see heaps of fun photos of our factory um, and us being idiots. So <laughs> that's the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we also have fun too. So. Yeah. <laughs> that I can tell, you know. We started the podcast between beaches and beer, so I was like, "Hmm, cool." <laughs> I want to hang out with these guys. <laughs> yes. Please reach out. I look for, hopefully we can catch up for a drink in, yeah, in the US. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, um, best of luck you guys and uh we'll keep an eye out for all your exciting developments. Thanks, Sharon. Thanks, Sharon. You're welcome. Want to deep dive into food innovation? Subscribe to the Food Tech Junkie series. Tune in and listen to the industry's champion whose mission is to reinvent our future by collaborating and disrupting the status quo as a way to rebalance our planet and our daily lives. For more great content, visit our website at www.ediblepanetventures.com and follow us on social media on the Edible Planet Ventures channels.